Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Good morning and welcome to Shouse in the House. I have with me today a very old and dear friend of mine, Jay Davison. Um, he has been serving as a state representative for the state of Indiana since 2021, and he is now running for the um, U.S. congressional seat for District 9 here in Indiana, replacing Trey Hollingsworth. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I know that I only have you for a limited amount of time, so I'm going to go ahead and get started in the actual um, meat of the questions, and maybe you and I can schedule a call um, at a later time to get a little bit more into like the personal side of you and how you got into politics and stuff like that. But talk to me a little bit about what made you decide to want to move from the state house to the um, the, the federal U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, well, uh, well, good morning, Heather, and thank you for having me this morning. Um, it, it's it's a compli uh, complicated um, answer to your question, um, and I'll try to give you the the, the short version. But it's it's like this: um, uh, everybody um, believes that change is absolutely necessary with the direction this country is heading. I had a unique opportunity to serve in a historic session in the Indiana General Assembly where we uh, uh, were doing things um, right. And when I, when I say we're doing things right, I mean uh, we, we are showing the nation uh, that you can have a conservative agenda that uh, makes for a very successful environment for everybody. Um, and so I, I got to be a, a part of that. And I got to see that that it can be done and that it can work. And I thought to myself, hey, this is what Washington, D.C. needs. They need to see that it can be done. So we need to take this recipe uh, for success, uh, proven success here in Indiana, and take that to D.C. and, and show them how it's done. But um, uh, really, the, the answer goes back to even further than that. So um, uh, last year... Um, I lost my wife uh, to a, a long battle with brain cancer, and uh, before her passing, I made uh, a promise uh, to her that I would uh, protect our children and ensure that our children um, have a bright future. And um, it is apparent uh, to me that with the direction that this country is heading and with the debt that we are accruing, that uh, our children, uh, their future is being robbed uh, from them. And so every, uh, every single child born today is born with $90,000 of debt. And um, they were not responsible for that debt, but they're going to be responsible for repaying that debt. And to me, that's, that's unacceptable. Uh, and so I feel that to honor that promise that I made uh, to my wife, um, I, I need to go to D.C., and I need to change the course um, that this country um, is heading towards, which is, is a cliff. Um, and it's, it's uh, 
it's robbing our children um, of the American dream that, quite frankly, you know, you and I and, and all the adults right now that we've had, you know, the opportunity um, to live that American dream. And I want that that same opportunity uh, for my children. So that's that's why I'm going to D.C. and uh, that's what I intend to do. Back to this this Washington situation, when you're talking about a lot of the debt that we're incurring a big part of the problem in this country is the Federal Reserve. We have seven individuals who control all of the money, um, flushing the market with tons of cash, restricting things from a um, from a, a rate perspective, and then flushing the market with cash again to continue to create these booms and bust cycles, um, killing housing markets and things like that. What, as a member moving into the um, the U.S. Congress, what would you be doing to impact that when you're talking about that debt? Because, I mean, um, Congress pretty much has a blank check anymore and they use it liberally. I don't know how you how you think you'll combat that. So talk to me about that recipe that you're going to take from Indiana to, to Congress. Well, uh, f- first of all, um, so I- any... Um, um, any addict, um, the, 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 their path to recovery always starts by admitting that we have a problem, right? I mean, that, that's where, whether we're talking about drugs or alcohol or whatever, right now that we have, um, spending addicts in, in, in DC. And, um, so, but, but first we have to identify, the, the root cause of the problem. And so um, if, if, if we're going to have an honest and a frank conversation, it starts with, with us, the voters. So we all say that we want change. Um, and yet every single election cycle, we continue to send to DC as our represent, uh, representation, the same type of person. So if you look at this race, for instance, you watch the news; they're going to talk about three candidates um, that that are are the front runners, and um, we have to ask ourselves why are those three candidates the the front runners? And the truth to that matter is 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 the money. So everybody looks at the money that those people have raised and the money that those people are spending, and they say these these are the front runners. The money is what sends those people there. Now, the, my, my, uh, vision of all of this is, is, is simply this, that big spending to win an election equates to big spending in DC. So we, we are sending the big spenders there. So we, we have to own that first of all, as, as a voter. We have to recognize that we're sending the same type of person there over and over and over again. And uh, that to me is, is insane because you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, and yet we're expecting a, a different result. So we're sending the same uh, type of person to D.C. every cycle, um, and that person is someone that is spending a lot of money. Now, we have to look at where that money comes from. Okay, and we have to acknowledge that all of that money didn't come for free. 
It all comes with strings attached. It all comes with promises that have to be made. Those are PACs and super PACs. And those are the people that are, are, are corrupting um, the election system. And those are the people that are, are convincing us that these are the right people to send to D.C. as, a, as, our, as our representation. Um, but when they get there, um, they can't represent us. They can't do what they said that they were going to do because they owe all of these favors. So I think uh, to, to change it, to answer your question, to change it, it starts here with the voters. We need to stop sending um, uh, U.S. House of Representatives and U.S. Senators to D.C. Um, that have all that big money, that have all those uh, those large donors um, from PACs and super PACs. I think that we need to send, if we want to talk about a conservative representative, we need to look at the actions, not not their words, because actions speak louder than words. Um, and and so I need to I need to see the voters need to see that who they are sending um, to D.C. is going to be a conservative. That's where it starts. Now, once you get there, once we send a conservative to D.C., then we have to do uh, the, the very the the very hard. Uh, assessment that needs to be done. And we need to, to look at the entire government itself. Look at where we're spending our money and look at where we're getting a, a good return on our investment. Um, you know, Indiana wasn't always in, in a good position that it, that's in now, right? It, it started uh, two decades ago um, and in which we had a governor that came in and he cleaned house. And you know, one of the, the, the things that, that he did was he looked at all of the automobiles and the planes um, that, that we had here in Indiana and said, we've got too much. Let's figure out what we can get rid of. And so he put a, <laughs> he had a staff put a penny on top of each tire um, on every vehicle um, that the Indiana government owned. And after two weeks, they did an assessment to see if that penny was still sitting on top of that tire. <laughs> and if the penny was still on top of that tire, it means nobody used it in two weeks. And that means we didn't need that vehicle. And so he sold, sold those. But in addition to that, um, they did an assessment of every department. They looked at how those departments were spending their money, uh, looked at where we were getting a return on investment there. And, uh, they got rid of, 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 of the, uh, the, the things that were not providing the departments and the people who were not providing a good return on investment um, to the taxpayer. And so we have to do that, that in DC. Um, and, and one of those things that, that I, I do have um, background in, which, which none of the other candidates have is, is in the, the pharmaceutical um, um, area, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and so one of the things that all the politicians love to talk about is the fact that we have, um, uh, medications that are unaffordable. Okay. And so they all say, well, we're going to fight for, uh, affordable, uh, prescription drugs. And yet nobody's ever achieved that. And yet the, the, the answer to that problem is, is very simple and it's sitting right in front of us, um, all along. Um, and, and so when we talk about our, our federal budget, uh, right now we have a $6 trillion budget. $4 trillion of that is in mandatory spending, and that is spending that is done in 
um, areas like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Um, and so we obviously, we don't want to cut those programs, but how do we, how do we look at those programs and ensure that they are uh, efficient? And one of those efficiencies and one of the biggest ways that we can cut um, our budget um, and, and help us get towards a balanced budget um, is the Medicare and Medicaid programs, um, which also tie into prescription drug costs. So um, most people want to blame drug manufacturers themselves, but the drug manufacturers have never been the problem. Um, the problem is pharmacy benefit managers, um, uh, PBMs they're often referred to. Uh, PBMs now were created in the 1960s by the federal government to be a middleman to ensure that the drug manufacturers were being fair to the patients. And uh, so when we, when, we, when we look at those PBMs, we, we need to identify a couple facts, okay? Three of those PBMs are the top 10 richest companies in the world. Two are in the top five uh, richest. Now, where do they come into this equation um, with, with uh, our, our, our budget uh, deficits and uh, our, our national debt and prescription drug costs? Well, they, uh, PBMs are the people who negotiate the cost of drugs with the manufacturer. They not only um, uh, negotiate that cost of the drug with the manufacturer, but then they also negotiate with the insurance company and they negotiate with the, 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 the pharmacies. And so uh, I'll, I, I use this one, uh, use this example often because uh, it, it, it relates to a lot of people. Insulin. It's one of the most used drugs in America. It is a life-saving drug if you don't um, have access to it and you need it, you'll die. Now, the average customer that uses uh, the average patient across America right now is paying $350 a month for insulin. Do you, do you have any idea what insulin costs? Not anywhere near $350 a month. I'm an insurance agent. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> So here, here, here's the thing. Joe Biden right now is touting a, a $35 insulin. And that is still nearly, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's still insanely high cost for insulin. So insulin right now, there is a $4 insulin available, widely available. And the drug manufacturer wants to charge $4 for it. The drug, the drug manufacturer, Eli Lilly, has tried to push that $4 insulin. And yet the PBMs keep in, insisting um, that patients are paying $350 for it. So um, in the negotiation process, the drug manufacturer, they're not getting the $350. They're getting the $4. Right. Um, so, so. The question then comes is why then are we paying three hundred fifty dollars? Well, it's it's a, a, a great example of the bureaucracy um, and and the ridiculous nature of how our federal government um, is is too involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in, and what it is doing is is creating super super wealthy companies PBMs, um, uh, PBMs, and and the dirty secret about PBMs is and that most people don't realize. PBMs who negotiate the cost, uh, cost of drugs are also the insurance company, and in 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 some cases they are also the pharmacy themselves, uh, and and so uh, uh, I'm talking about CVS, 
care mark. So in that situation, <laughs> CVS is the pharmacy where you pick up your drugs. They are the insurance company um, that, that reimburses for that drug. And they are also the PBM that sets the prices for those drugs. And so uh, that's the insanity. And that those are the discussions that, that none of these politicians want to talk about in D.C. And quite frankly, they don't want to talk about those because those, those the are the, money the comes from. What's that? That's where their donor money comes from. Exactly. So now you see how I'm, I'm tying back in all the problems that we're having in D.C. with spending. And it all starts back here at a campaign level. And we have to, we have to, as a voter, we need, we need to acknowledge it. We need, we need to, you know, come to reality and, and say, you know, who is this candidate? Do I believe in them first? Okay. Do they, they do they support the, the same principles and ideologies that I support? If the answer is yes, then don't just vote with, vote for them because your ideologies and principles match up with them. Look at their finance reports. Look at where their money is coming from. Do a little bit of homework. In this day and age, we have more access to information and knowledge than ever before. It is extremely easy to go in and do a little bit of investigation within just minutes. And most, most of this information can be found at the touch of your fingers right now on your cell phone. And you can go on to Google and you can... You can go on the FEC website and on all these other um, these companies that are trying to uh, increase the transparency um, in in these campaigns. Um, the information's out there. Um, I, I think the average voter would be just absolutely appalled, and and most admit that they know something's going on. Right, most of them admit that there's too much right. dirty money, that too much dark money um, in in the political system, but. But nobody's willing to go and, and look at the information. And even if they do look at the information right now, we're still going back to this, this whole idea. And I've, I've heard this over and over and over again in my campaign is people say, hey, I haven't seen any of your commercials. And I say, well, you haven't seen my commercials because I, I'm a true conservative. I'm not, right. I'm not taking money from the PACs or the super PACs. I'm, I'm running a truly conservative campaign. And that commercial that you want me to run costs $125,000 a week for a 30-second commercial that airs six times a day. So why would I spend $125,000? Do you know what I can do with $125,000 to help this community? Right. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. They're, 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 um, we need to get back to uh, the old school campaigns where you have somebody that is willing to uh, go door to door or is willing to put themselves out there in an environment in which, um, you know, that's where the, the old stump speeches, that's where that term comes from, right? They, they stood on a, on a, on a bully pulp, uh, pulpit and they, they, they talked to a crowd of people, but those yeah. crowds don't show up anymore. Um, we we want to sit and watch our TV and, and wait for the commercials to come to us. And then we want to vote because we keep seeing these commercials uh, or because a, a, a candidate will send nine or 10 mailers to us. You know, they, you know, that, that, that's what the voters are looking for now. Instead of looking for the truth, they're looking to see how many commercials and how many uh, of those mailers come to them. And that's who they want to support these days. Well, and they're looking to be told who to support. I, I think societally we've gotten so lazy 
we really enjoy someone else telling us this is who you should vote for because we've continued to put their name in front of your face so many times, rather than taking personal responsibility and investigating and looking into these people and, and asking questions like, um, I mean, you're on my ballot, so I'm going to be deciding whether or not, like you and I personally, I'm going to get to decide whether or not I want to vote for you. And so I, I think that people just have become so complacent and it's, it's sad. Like you talking about that information is out there and they're, they refuse to do the, the effort. So then you get into a situation where you have an uninformed populace. Um, and then a high level of apathy that has settled in where it's like, eh, my vote doesn't matter, so I'm not going to participate. Like you have a huge amount of people who are completely disengaged from politics in general. And then those are the same people who, after the election's over, are like, man, I hate how much I'm paying for this, or I hate how much this is happening. And it's, you know, you, you sit and you wonder, like, well, what are you doing about it? So I, I can I can see the level of frustration. I, I have it myself. That's why I started my podcast in the first place. Um, I want to touch on, so you're talking about like this money, right? Super PACs, PACs, things like that. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that the idea that special interest groups control who runs the country, that's how we end up having this unelected bureaucracy, right? You have these people who are moving the parts, like who actually writes our bills anymore? It's not the politicians voting on them. It's it's these people in, in back rooms that are that are benefiting from it, that are writing the legislation. And then you just have these figureheads that are out there pretending that they've even read the bills before they vote on them. So when you talk about going, like what, what are you going to do about it? Are, is like your first move your first piece of legislation that you introduce, is it going to be, okay, you know that little line when you file your taxes that says, do you wish to donate $3 to the presidential fund or whatever, it, or the, the election fund? Is that what we go back to where it's divvied up evenly amongst everyone and you have to deal with what you've got? Like, what what's your solution to that problem? Well, the solution to the problem is simply this. It's not a piece of legislation in Washington, D.C. that will fix the problem. Because what we have to understand is that every representative that we send uh, send to D.C., they are one person and they are one vote. And, you know, often the naive guys that are running for these races that have no experience in a, a legislative process they believe that they can go in and change the world with writing a bill and and getting some people on board. But the truth of the matter is, is it is extremely complex. So when, it, for example, in the Indiana House of Representatives, in which the, the U.S. House of Representatives runs the same way. So you come in, you have an idea for a bill, uh, you have that bill drafted, and then you have it finalized and then you submit it to the Speaker of the House. The Speaker of the House assigns that bill to uh, a committee. And then the committee has an opportunity, the, the chair of that committee has an opportunity to say whether or not that they will actually hear that bill or not. And so if they choose not to hear the bill, no one ever gets a vote on it. No one even gets to have a discussion on it. And so those chairmen, um, they are the gatekeepers um, for all of the legislation. And so 
you cannot say that you're going to go to D.C. and you're going to write a bill to end all of this, right? It, it will never happen. Uh, there are uh, more than 430 representatives in the House. Uh, you know, what difference can one person make? And I don't say that to to to, to say that there's there's no hope because there is. But let's acknowledge this. This mess in D.C. did not happen overnight, and it's not going to be fixed overnight. It starts with a small group of, of people, and you build out from there. Uh, and by that, what I mean is, is that we send a representative who's going to do exactly what uh, he or she says that they're going to do. So if they say, I'm not, I'm not going to allow any more uh, of this spending, that I won't support um, a, a deficit budget, that I won't add to our debt, then they need to do exactly that. It's not about writing legislation. It's about that vote. You need to prove to the voters that you're willing to do what you say that you're going to do. Um, and that's where it starts. That's where we start rebuilding hope, faith, and trust in American democracy um, and where we can get people out to vote. So uh, if if I do exactly what I tell you I'm going to do, okay, you're going you're gonna to start believing more that it can be changed. And, and it will take time. It absolutely will take time um, to fix. But it, it will it will happen as long as we honor our word and we're true. You know, we got to be true to our word. We've got to live up to everything that we say that we're going to do. If you say, hey, I'm going to stand strong for the Second Amendment. I'm going to support every piece of legislation that supports the Second Amendment. And I'm going to vote against every uh, piece of legislation that will infringe upon your Second Amendment, then you have to do just that. So no matter what the issues are that you're running on, you have to do exactly what you say. Now, I will, I will absolutely um, be willing to introduce uh, a, a bill that will do away with PBMs uh, because I, I believe, quite frankly, this is a, 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 a big, big win, uh, not only in terms of, of, uh, of patients having uh, more money in their pocket to spend on other things other than the life-saving drugs that they need, but because I also truly believe that it will have a huge impact on our annual budgets and on our national debt. Um, and so I, I do intend to introduce that piece of legislation but there is, there would be no hope if I came in and introduced a bill that said that you know uh, 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 did away with with all this dark money and these packs and super packs. There is no way it would even get a hearing in a committee. There is no way because there are too many people there right now who they're making their living off of that. Right? I mean, right. that's that that is how those people are getting rich. That's how those those. Uh, congressmen are, 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 you know, leaving Congress uh, more wealthy than they were before they came into Congress. So um, it, it's just that that's not we have to be realist and and it, that's just not going to happen. That that type of bill won't won't ever won't ever get a hearing. We'll never get the vote. But what can happen is is, again, the voters sending people that aren't bought by by these these super PACs. We got to we got to continue to put those people out there, and eventually we'll have enough in in the numbers, uh, you know, to to actually pass and forbid 
and make it illegal uh, for these PACs and super PACs to be involved. Awesome. Jay, I know that we had a hard stop at 1030. Um, I will go ahead and let you do what? If you've got one more question, we we got a little late start here. If you want to. Yeah, I, I did have one more question that I wanted to, just because you kind of alluded, I actually have two. Um, one, when okay. you talk about committees, are there any particular committees that you plan on, if elected, serving on to to offer the best opportunity to the state of Indiana as our representative? And then the second question that I have is when you talk about, um, well, I'll ask that question in a second. Go ahead and ask answer the committee question first. Yeah. So, I mean, if I had my preference in, in, in committees, um, one of the, the biggest ones for me uh, would, would be the armed services. So I, um, as a veteran, a 17-year Army veteran, a combat veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, I have a huge passion for, for veterans and veterans' issues. And I understand those those issues because I, I lived through those issues. So I think I could I could represent those those issues very well. And Indiana is highly populated. We are an extremely patriotic uh, state, and we have pulled more than our fair share um, in, in terms of, of, of the union and being uh, um, uh, a very large number of, of Hoosiers have, uh, have deployed in support of the global war on terrorism that's been going on for, uh, for more than two decades now. So I would, I would love um, to be a part of there, and I think that that would bring a lot of benefit to Indiana, but in addition to that, um, uh, the committees that I served on in in the state house, um, agriculture. Um, I'm 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 a farmer myself. I come from a family of farmers. Um, I, I love uh, I love farming. I believe in agriculture. I believe that agriculture is the answer to many of society's uh, problems. Um, and because I have that background, I, I think that I would be uh, extremely helpful there. But um, also in terms of of public health, um, obviously with my background in pharmacy there and some of the things that I've already discussed there, I think I could have a huge benefit there. Uh, and then in addition to that, um, small business and commerce. So um, I, I have, uh, you know, uh, uh, we have a, a family owned uh, independent pharmacy. So I understand the struggles that small businesses um, go through. Um, I'm a huge advocate of, of small business and I would love to uh, uh, be uh, on small business and commerce um, in DC and and uh, have a uh, a positive impact on on the climates uh, environments for um, small businesses to be successful. The last question that I want to ask you 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 talk about you know being a true conservative and truly practicing fiscal con- conservation. Right now, um, I feel like every day we're announcing another hundred plus million dollars that we're issuing to Ukraine to fight against Russia. And I'm curious, as a representative of Congress, who who technically should be controlling the purse strings? Our Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State think that they can just go over and offer a, a bunch of money. Um, I'm curious to hear your position on the war in Ukraine as a veteran and and whether or not you think we should continue footing the bill for for that effort as we did for 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, thank you for that question. Um, let me first say that what is happening in Ukraine, it's appalling. It breaks my heart. If I, Jay Davison, 
um, had the ability to go over there and personally help them, um, I, I would. I'd be more than happy um, to help push back against the atrocities that are happening there. But let me be very clear. Um, it is not the responsibility of the United States government or its people to uh, be involved in this war. The fact remains that Ukraine is not a member of NATO, and we have no obligation um, to uh, side with them in, in this war. And in fact, the reason why Ukraine is in this war is because of the United States, because we were entertaining conversations, because we were meddling in Ukraine's business. It put Russia on notice, and it made Russia uncomfortable. Um, and so I firmly believe um, that, that uh, our involvement is, is only making the situation worse and not better. But, but let's talk about one more, one more thing here. We have many battles going on inside of our own country, our national debt being one of them. Okay, what about the number of homeless people in America? What about the the number of children in our own communities right now who get one meal a day and that's why they're at school what about our crisis at our southern border okay look at everything that's going on inside of our own boundaries i think that it is completely irresponsible for us to be involved in ukraine right now and to be providing aid whether that's in equipment or money, or supplies. We need to refocus all of those efforts inward. We need to put America first. It is an absolute necessity that we get our house in order before we go trying to help somebody else. Um, now, with that said, I, I, I strongly believe in charities, um, and so if there are charitable nonprofit organizations that want to help and they want to raise funds and, and, and get supplies, I think that's great. That's, that's what the best of humanity has to offer. That's the beauty um, of, of, of humanity and of our society, that we, can, we, we are a charitable society, um, and, and we can make impacts through charities. But we should not be spending money um, in, in Ukraine. And one of the most appalling things, if, if, if you're watching the news, the Biden administration right now, uh, is seriously considering taking money from the Veterans Affairs um, to take care of, of the southern border right now. Well, my question there is, why would we take away money that is dedicated to taking care of our veterans who have served uh, our country um, and have disabilities and problems from that service? Why would we take money from our veterans to send down to the southern border when we're sending millions of dollars to Ukraine. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it's, it's appalling and, and quite frankly, uh, extremely shameful um, for our U.S. government to be um, operating um, like they are. Jay, I'm so thankful that you came on with me. I'm so excited for you and your family. Um, I, I, I've always loved you. I mean, we've been friends since we were kids. 
I'm really yes. excited to see what you can do for our country and our state of Indiana. So I appreciate you coming on with me. Um, I look forward to hopefully maybe having another episode in the future where you and I can talk a little bit more in depth about some of these issues that face us right now. Okay. Well, thank you for the, for the invite and uh, enjoyed talking with you. All right. Take care, Jay. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death!